you've got 91 counts, felony counts against you. You've got four indictments. You could be in trial this year and you could get convicted. You know, Do you think about that? No, because it's all about courage. You have to have courage for the country. I would have, if I didn't run or if I was in fifth place, I wouldn't have any indictments. I wouldn't have any problem. They went after me from before I even announced because they said we have to do it. It's all, these aren't indictments. These are Biden indictments. How are you going to get through Washington, D.C. I just get through things, whatever it is. I'm doing this for the country. I didn't need this. I could have had the greatest life. Look at this. I could have had a nice time instead of doing a nice, fair, but tough interview with you. I could have had a very nice time in my life. I could have enjoyed it. But I enjoy it anyway because we're going to make America great again. This country is failing. This nation is failing. And it's incompetent people like Biden. Who wants open borders? Who wants high interest rates? Who wants bad education? Who wants all of this stuff? Who wants a woke military? Our country's going to hell. And it's an honor for me. I really say, anytime I get indicted, it's an honor because I'm doing it for you. All right, that was the voice of, of course, President Donald Trump, former President Donald Trump and Maria Bartiroma on Sunday Morning Futures. Uh, it was quite the interview. And, of course, we are now in uh, the, the final countdown to the November 2024 election. So things have to be discussed. Decisions have to be made. And it was our good fortune to have Congressman Steve King uh, in our home this past weekend. And so I can I did an interview with him. We talked about a lot of things. We talked about the... Uh, an update on the pipeline issue, the uh, carbon capture, the uh, the eminent domain, the attempt to seize property in Iowa from farmers uh, to to insert CO2 into the ground. It's uh, I've done a couple of shows on it already, and I commend them to you. I talked with Vivek Ramaswamy a few months ago about it. I've talked with Congressman King about it. It's really a horrible thing they're trying to do to Iowans. Kim Reynolds, the governor, is in favor of it, and so Terry Branstad, the former governor, there's a lot of money to be made. There's no other explanation. So we get into that with Congressman King, but we also talk about the upcoming election. So I hope you'll stay tuned. So meanwhile, you know, Preborn does some great work. It's life-saving, and it will continue at a greater level as they fight the abortion giants. And you know who those are. Uh, Planned Parenthood gets millions of dollars from the federal government. And no matter how many times Republic, I pick on Republicans because they're supposed to be uh, – representing people like us, right? No matter how many times they say they're pro-life, they have never defunded Planned Parenthood. They're not willing to shut down the government, even when the news that Planned Parenthood looked like they were selling baby body parts, I believe they were. Uh, That didn't even bring them to shutting down the government, those pro-life Republicans, and that annoys me. The Democrats are pro-death. They are pro-abortion, so they don't even factor in. I don't even talk about them. But we have to continue to elect people that do something, not just say something. And you are the answer to really, no matter what the politicians do, preborn is able to save lives because they reach the women directly. And they reach them with ultrasounds, these uh, really elaborate, sophisticated ultrasounds that show the babies in the womb. And so $28 pays for one ultrasound. Again, this is extra political, outside of the realm. They can't touch this, at least not so far. And they have managed to save so many babies' lives. And you have helped them repeatedly. So let me ask you if you've got $28 for one ultrasound or if you can afford more, go to preborn.com slash Sandy, preborn.com slash Sandy, and make your most generous donation. Well, you know that uh, you can call us at 662-821-2040. We just did a fun 
um, uh, show last Friday where we played your calls and read your email. That's fun. And you can email us, by the way, at sandy at afr.org. Net. And I want to remind you, sandyrios.com, we've sort of revamped, we've, uh, we've tweaked it a bit, and that's a great place to go for uh, just to find out everything about the show and things that you uh, would like to know. It also helps you to pre-order my, my book that's coming out February the 14th, uh, God's Velvet Hammer, so that makes it really easy. It also makes it easy to listen to the show. If you're a Facebooker, go to Sandy Reels 24-7. If you are on Twitter or Instagram, uh, I'm all... Uh, in all of those places. And you can find us at any podcast platform. Our favorite, of course, is AFR.net. That is our home base, American Family Radio, AFR.net. So uh, I hope that you'll enjoy this conversation. What does uh, Congressman King think about the upcoming election? Uh, has he chosen a candidate? Does he have an opinion? Well, we'll find out in this edition of Sandy Rios 24 7. From American Family Radio, Sandy Rios. We are not called to be nice. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. I think the most important thing we need to demonstrate to our children is genuineness. That we actually believe what we say we believe. A longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. Seek justice. Not social justice, but God's justice. What's right and what's wrong. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. We've got to say this is the line. Life is sacred. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up. Speak up. Say something. Do something. I'm Meg Kennard, national politics reporter for the Associated Press. Tonight, I'm in Iowa, where the Associated Press has just called the Republican presidential caucuses for former President Donald Trump. This is Trump's first electoral win since losing the 2020 general election to Democrat Joe Biden. For Trump, the 2024 campaign is one that's been full of much more infrastructure than he had in his first campaign here in Iowa in 2016. This win, the Trump campaign hopes, will give him momentum building into the states that follow, like New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina. All right, well, Sandy Rios with you here. This is one of those days when I have someone really special uh, to the nation and to me uh, in my home. And so we're outside on our lanai. Sometimes I do this. I've done it a few times in this past year. And this is one of those beautiful days uh, where we're outside to do the interview. So who am I talking about? I'm talking about someone who has fought for this country for decades. Uh, We go back several decades just knowing each other, companions in this fight, uh, when he served in Congress. And it wasn't his idea to leave Congress. He was targeted by Kevin McCarthy and the leadership of the Republican Party and the woke left who took him down in no uncertain terms. But before that, he was uh, he won his races by 80, 90% of the vote in Iowa, which is his home state. And sitting in front of me is Congressman Steve King. Welcome, Congressman King. Well, thanks a lot, Sandy. And thanks to you and Bruce for welcoming Marilyn and I into your home. This is just a beautiful setup down here. And I told people that we escaped the, the, the heat wave up in Iowa. It was 45 degrees. The snow from the blizzard was melting. And we left all that to come down here. To 45 degrees, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's pretty cool right now here. <laughs> Wait a minute. Now that's real service. <clears throat> well, you're, you're down here to speak at an event, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, are you going to speak about your book or? 
well, what are you going to talk about? They, they want me to talk about the CO2 pipelines and, oh, and that yes. big reach across the upper Midwest that, uh, that I'll say the Biden signed that the Inflation Reduction Act, and that dumped hundreds of billions of dollars mm-hmm. into that. That's what they want me to talk about, but I'll probably ramble off. I've got 50 minutes to go, so I'll pack a few things in there, and <laughs> I don't think I'll solve all the problems in the world, but I'll address a few of them. Well, people have heard you with me interview you before, and I just mm-hmm. have to say, Congressman King is a, is a scholar. He's not a scholar. He doesn't have his Ph.D., except a Ph.D. in life. But he, he understands so many issues in great depth. He's like the, one of the founding fathers. He's I think you're self-taught on many of these issues. Mm-hmm. Fair to say? You know, I even say, Sandy, that I sat on a bulldozer for a number of years looking at the top of the hill building terraces, and you can't play a radio because it's too loud. There's not any scenery to look around at to speak of. But I would go home at night, and I would read, pick up the classics and read some of the classics, go to sleep with that book on my chest, wake up in the morning and open it up and go backwards to where it got blurry, and then I would think about what I'd read all day long. I just kept doing that because I thought the rest of the world already knew all those things, and I was trying to catch up. And I really never caught up, but now I realize that and I'm then not you paying grew, attention either. <laughs> and then you grew up and you found out that you knew a lot more than most people. Really, that's true. You know, I think about Abraham Lincoln. They mm-hmm. scorned him because he was self-taught, and yet he was brilliant, and yes. he knew more than most of them and had an understanding of mm-hmm. the world and life. So I think that there, you have a lot in common with that. Well, Congressman, there's so much happening in Iowa. There was just this this uh, caucus, caucus and caucus. Mm-hmm. And so that's your home state, and I know that you have not stopped fighting for the country. So tell us what your role was in those caucuses, and then let's just talk about what happened there. Well, yes, I mean, I've been involved in the, in the presidential caucuses for a good number of years, going back into the, I'll say, the late 80s, and then throughout the 90s. I, I didn't miss one. I was always involved and uh, almost always behind a presidential candidate. And so as those years went by and the cycles went by, it looked to the the establishment Republicans like conservative Steve King was getting a, a louder and more effective voice and who would get the bounce coming out of Iowa. And uh, so that was some of the things, one of the reasons they were pushing back against me. But in this caucus, you know, since uh, since I left Congress and they did the political lynch, lynch mob attack on yes. me to get me out of there, uh, there was a word out there that I was extremely toxic because they spent more than two years just pounding on me. And uh, But it turns out that the people in Iowa understand what was going on all that time, partly because they read my book. Thousands of copies have been spread throughout, especially Iowa. And um, so this, this year, as we're watching the presidential candidates come forward, and I've lost track of exactly how many, but I briefed, five, I think there were five in well, Iowa. I think, I, right? I think it'd even be eight. Oh, uh, wow. Because I know okay. I briefed five of them, and there were three that didn't want to accept a briefing. And so. Oh, um, are you talking about for the Republicans or the Democrats also? Yes, they were just Republicans. Oh, eight? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and um, so with Perry Johnson from Michigan briefed him. Oh, wait a minute. I put Bobby Kennedy in there as a Republican on my account. That was wrong. But I did brief him also. Oh, I uh, want to know about that so, when we get there. <laughs> yes, yes, when we get there. So as I briefed him along the line, I let him, let him know that this effort that's, uh, that's designed to uh, use eminent domain to condemn the best farmland in the world in order to put these CO2 pipelines through it for private gain, uh, that they need to understand that they take an oath to the Constitution if they're elected president of the United States. And you can't do that uh, with a good conscience if you're going to be supporting of or promoting the condemnation of private land for private gain. I want to talk to you about the caucuses, though. Uh, do you think the caucuses, look, from my perspective, Iowa, I hope they never get rid of the caucuses because that seems like real people doing the work of democracy, the way that works. 
where they, you know, get in a room and argue about candidates, and then all of you in favor of so-and-so go stand over here, and all of you in favor, and so dwindling it down to you have a consensus. I mean, it really is democracy at its best, I think. Am I wrong? No, you're completely right. And, I, and on top of that, and just just watching people and how they come around on issues. Um, there are people who have different number one priority issues, and they think it's possible to ask a presidential candidate, for one person to ask a presidential candidate that they're a specific question of every one of them, and, and look them in the eye and listen to their answer. And then as they compare notes, and, and now that we have uh, real-time social media out there, the Facebook stories and the texts that go and the emails that go, um, is just there's a constant churning of knowledge base. And the people that care are really paying great attention to that. So it isn't hard to find out where does this candidate stand on position X, Y, or Z, and it's probably already right in front of you if you've got any kind of network of people. And it's and it's social and it's polite. And um, I'll say this for, I mean, Donald Trump did the bigger rallies that we hadn't seen that much before in previous caucuses, but it's a three times the third time for him through Iowa too. And that is his stock and trade, by the way. But if you get down to some of the other candidates, I remember uh, Rick Santorum in 2012. I remember that too. We, we <laughs> took Rick in, uh, at, at, um, was in mid-November, 1.30 in the morning. My chief of staff and I are sitting out in front of my house in his pickup and we're on and we better get behind a president and be presidential candidate. And we decided in the, at one thirty in the morning that Rick Santorum was going to be our pick. And so Chuck Lardner was my chief of staff at the time, and he took he drove what they what became known as his as the Chuck truck, loaded up <laughs> Rick Santorum, and they finished out uh, all together. 385 meetings, speeches, stops that Rick Santorum did. Wow! And about two or four years later. Rick Santorum was giving a speech in the northwest corner of Iowa, about 400 Republicans there at a fundraising event. And the lady from 200 miles away named Margaret, I've forgotten her last name now, uh, but he was at the, at the podium and he said, well, I did 385 speeches in Iowa and I want to thank you, Margaret. I see you back there. Um, if it hadn't been for you being there, there wouldn't have been anybody there in Montgomery County that day. <laughs> but boy, you can—it's one-on-one at its finest, yeah. and yeah, and it, and it is. And, and I noticed this also the New Hampshire people when I've gone to New Hampshire in yes. presidential races—they're very astute. They pay yep. attention. They—they—they want—they're good listeners. They're very knowledgeable on policy. Yes, which I think is great. So I love that the the process begins the selection process in these smaller states, and because then you guys. Are kind of vet them for us. It's mm-hmm. pretty amazing because they can't do that in California or Illinois. They no one they wouldn't be invited in Illinois. But I, one quick question though: um, in in um, New Hampshire, what the number one issue for voters there or participants in the primary was illegal immigration. Mm-hmm. How about Iowa? I, was that a big issue? Oh, yes. Uh, I th- yes, right, right out front. It was it was a big issue, and you know each one of the candidates had their varied positions on it. But I I liked Vivek's better than anybody's from that standpoint. I mean, Trump's is good and strong, and and I actually there was a time when my my position on immigration was more or less cut and pasted into Trump's when he was a candidate for his time in Iowa, and I was glad for that. By the way, I just said you know copy and ta- copy and paste liberally. Yeah, That's what yeah. I said. But um, but Vivek says uh, yes, build the wall and deport every last one of them. And uh, also, we're going to go down and encourage these other countries to build their own walls. So there's a stage of resistance coming up here, and uh, that and every, every last one. And the reason for that is that if you allow anybody to stay here that's here illegally, and especially if you do so by law, you're rewarding lawbreakers. And, of course, when you reward, reward lawbreakers, you get more lawbreakers, and eventually you have to just take the, wall, take the, take the law down rather than build the wall up. And uh, when that happens, and, and also... 
when you when you import someone into the United States, I don't care where they come from, they could come from the Vatican, but they're bringing their culture with them. So you better be aware that you're importing a culture. And one person with their culture generally assimilates into the broader American civilization, and that's worked out fine for generations. But they build, when you get big numbers, they build their own enclaves. And those enclaves speak the, the home language, and they begin to replicate their home country. And uh, It's no longer the United States of America. That's right. Or whatever country they're coming from. Uh, you said that you interviewed... Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Yes. So I, you know, I've loved what he said about COVID, and I, I love he's got such a great mind. He really does. He's got such a intellect. But what did you think about him? I, we haven't talked about this. No, so we haven't. This is new information um, to me. Well, um, it came about this way. I mentioned earlier that Dennis Kucinich is a good friend. Yes, and he's an honest liberal. I so. remember debating him on television <laughs> a million times. He was always a gentleman. Yes, right. it, indeed. Yeah. And, and um, so, so we stay in communication, Dennis and I do. But I was at the state fair doing a radio interview, and and. Uh, then I got a phone call in the middle of the interview from Dennis Kucinich, and I, you know, I had to get back to it later. But anyway, so I called him as soon as the studio was over, and he said, well, we need to meet. And I said, okay, uh, where are you? And he said, well, I'm in downtown Des Moines, about a mile away from me. <laughs> uh, so I said, that's not hard. Then I'll come see you. So we met in the lobby of a hotel, and uh, he brought this topic up to me that I needed to brief Bobby Kennedy on this. And, on the carbon capture? Yes. Really? Is he against it? Yes, absolutely against it. He's, he's a Good very strong voice. Good for him. And I'm glad his voice is in this, Sandy. Yeah. So um, he led me, a few phone calls later, he led me to another hotel. He didn't tell me where we were going. Uh, <laughs> Did he and, blindfold you and well, <laughs> lead you down the hallway? <laughs> <laughs> almost, almost. But uh, So we ended up in another hotel and, and up on Florex, I guess, and knocked on the door. Bobby Kennedy opened the door. And, oh, uh, how fun. And you didn't know? Well, I knew it was going to be him, but oh, I didn't okay. think he was going to be the guy answering the door. <laughs> I guess because you could, he could open the door and you said, oh, yeah, it's, oh, you're uh, Bobby. I, uh, right. I, I recognize that. You could have been embarrassed by not remembering the exact name. <laughs> good. And, and so, um, but I called him Mr. Kennedy and he said, call me Bobby. And I said, oh. good, then I get to be Steve. And, um, and we sat down in the corner table just like we are now, as, as close as you can sit and, and talk about something. And um, he had a really sharp staff person there with a big laptop screen. And uh, but I spent 45 minutes briefing him on this CO2 pipeline carbon capture operation, and I handed him the article that I'd written and the spreadsheet, and we went through all that. Um, he only interrupted me about three or four times, and each time it was for just a clarifying question. He soaked it all up. He was super intense and soaked it all up. He was also polite and, and a gentleman. Um, he was preparing for his speech the next day at the state fair, which he called the soapbox speech. And um, so on my way home, it's about two and a half hours on the way home, he called me three different times with more clarifying questions. And he went to give his soapbox speech the next morning at 11 o'clock and hit it out of the park. Um, he's an intense, astute individual, um, and he sees the evil of the World Economic Forum. When I look at the enemies of the World Economic Forum, and I'll say that if we're going to defend and save Western civilization, they've got to come down. Yep. They're tearing it apart. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the number one enemy would be Donald Trump. The number two enemy is probably Bobby Kennedy Jr. And the number three enemy would be Vivek Ramaswamy. Um, they understand that has to be taken down and taken apart. But I don't know anybody that's got a plan on how to do that yet. And so that's well. They probably wouldn't publicize it if they had one. So no, no, there might <laughs> maybe there is one, but yeah. it'll take like a uh, Elon Musk or someone of equal ranking and and wealth and power in a different way that we can't touch. I don't know. It might take God actually, Let's, and maybe He might pull that off. But and let me say, Sandy, <laughs> when we do trust God to do all kinds of things yes, for us, we do. we do, and that's one of the things that bonds us together here. 
But I also will make the point that God's going to require of each one of us to do all, use all the gifts that he has given us before he's going to step in and get us over the hurdle. Uh, I, I agree with, I mean, I, uh, this is a theme. I, I never, I wouldn't ever want anyone to have an impression that I would ever say that I believe God is sovereign. I believe God is involved in the lives of men and in nations. He judges, but I can't see anywhere in scripture where he says, just sit back and relax and I will, you know, do all the work. We are to be salt and light. Uh, you know, we have to protect our families, all of these things. So, We'll work until he tells us, you know. Yeah. We just we have to do have an ear to heaven and to the scripture while we do it. So, um, all right. So, so your your assessment of Bobby Kennedy is kind of like mine. Now he's got when I hear him, he doesn't even use notes. He'll talk about these mm-hmm. comprehensive, deep issues and just rattle off studies, and it's really amazing. But he does not share our view. I don't think on some of the really important issues, Steve, I think like abortion, but I, right. I have to really look into it. I'm not ready to speak about well, that. Well, I can to a, to a bit. There was, a, there, there was a message that came out that Bobby Kennedy had said that he would accept like a 12 or 15 week bill. Um, that's not too far from what Donald Trump actually said here not that long ago also. And that went through the, the Iowa grapevine, the, now the social media grapevine, and came back kind of empty that, no, Bobby had corrected that, and he's more of a pro-choice person than he was interpreted to be with that statement. So, yes, that's where that's where he would be. I would expect him to be on the Democrat side of that issue, and it's, it's pretty clear. But it was a rumor about uh, for a little while. It's a real Sophie's choice, you know. It is. It's terrible. All right, so we have a presidential election coming up, and uh, Nikki Haley, of course, came in third in the Iowa caucuses, and now she's uh, didn't do so well in New Hampshire either, but she's still. Uh, what do you think about Nikki Haley, and why didn't you support her? Well, it looks to me like the Trump derangement money that didn't go to DeSantis went to Nikki Haley. I think so, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And it's the establishment people that are there, and also um, Koch Brothers' money. Uh, would be some of that who hate Trump mm-hmm. and uh, and are working with Soros actually. And that's not but, a very good. That's not a very good motive to want to be president. No. Yeah, Steve, about Nikki Haley, I uh, the uh, I've tried to explain to people, and I, you know, I look to you for information, and we have some great mutual friends that help us mm-hmm. to stay informed on things. But I want to get this straight. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think that with uh, everyone's declaring Ron DeSantis that he failed. I don't think that's true. We love him. We think he's a principled guy. We love what he does. But I think he had his head turned by never-Trumpers who wanted him. They thought he could beat Donald Trump. And uh, But I, I suspect that as they got into this, they realized they couldn't really control him because they had a different view on a lot of issues than he did. And really, bottom line, uh, he might have had his head turned, but I don't think he can be bought on the issues that he really is passionate about. So that money did go to to. Nikki, because she can be bought. That's a simply put. That's how I feel about it. Do you think that's well, kind of inaccurate? Is that, uh, there's a lot of that that I subscribe to. One would be that early on, DeSantis was picked to be the guy that was going to challenge this, and um, there was early. Oh, money. the cu- the uh, carbon capture. Well, no, no, no. I mean just the, just challenge. as we challenged Trump himself. Oh, Trump. Okay. Uh, and it was uh, the never Trumpers that I thought put money in behind DeSantis early yes. and propped him up. Yes, I think and so. And I thought they've chosen him. Uh, to be the guy that can beat Trump in the in the yes. nomination process. And I remember saying about this that the press is going to like Ron DeSantis unless and until he, he defeats Trump, That's and then they'll do to DeSantis what they did to McCain when he finally won the nomination. Mm-hmm. The, he was the, McCain was the, the darling mm-hmm. of the press, mm-hmm. 
until such time as they got him isolated as the only Republican candidate, and then they turned on him. Right. That's what I expected would happen with DeSantis, and it didn't happen to that degree, but there's some of that going on. And Nikki Haley seemed to be, yes, a lot more for sale than DeSantis was. And I had some concerns also about DeSantis. Um, one of them would be some things going on here in Florida. I, had, I received a briefing of a 1,200-square-mile solar panel farm that's being planned here in this state that goes over good Florida farmland. And uh, that's, of course, that's on DeSantis's watch. And I just, I'll let him answer to that. I just, the question is what I'm posing on this. Yeah. Um, but I'd be very concerned if 1,200 square miles of anybody's land is going to be covered by sol- solar panels. And that's something I'd hope that the governor of this state would address as soon as, as, soon as he can. Let me ask you something. Uh, just, we, none of us know the answer to this. <clears throat> but when you said you briefed all of the candidates on this carbon capture and not all of them. You tried. I did. And you said you didn't hear from DeSantis and you had a hard time getting uh, in touch with Trump. Do you you know how it is to have advisors and you haven't run for president, but you had lots of staff. Do you suspect in any way that it would be advisors who uh, are blocking that issue? Because the presidents, the candidates often don't know details. You know that because they can't know about everything. That's why they have specialists working for them. You think that the the onus is on DeSantis for not taking that on and on Trump himself? I, I don't know if it got through to him. I don't know that. I mean, uh, we have each other's cell number, and I texted him several times. I believe I called him once, if I remember. I didn't get any responses. Um, all my other presidential campaigns going clear back into, I guess it would be the 90s, the candidates would contact me instead okay. of shield me out. Yeah. And I just can't be the guy that goes to a rally and hold my hold my political tin cup there and say, hey, listen to me. Yes, exactly. Uh, so, you've got credibility because of all your years of service yeah. and because you've been a truth teller. And plus, I served on the Judiciary Committee with DeSantis all the time when he was in Congress, okay. and we have a decent personal relationship yeah. and a good professional working relationship. So I think, here's what I really think what happens, Annie, is that we've talked earlier here among your hospitality, which is so gracious, and we, we're you. so happy to be here with you. We're happy to um, have you. That um, what, it, what it really is, is that... The people across Iowa know me. They've known me all my life. And our roots go down and they go deep. We've been involved in public life now. There's just the, the kings around the place. But, of course, I'm the, I'm the one that's the most known. And um, they tried to attack me, and the press came in. They looked all over Iowa to try to find a first-person accuser of all the things that the national press was accusing me of. They never found one first-person accuser. And my book went out. And so what happened was my reputation went back to where it was before they attacked Thank me. Thank God for that. But at the national level, there still remains a kind of a, yep. a, a tainted cloud. So I think that the professionals that were leading these campaigns of Trump's and, and Nikki Haley's and DeSantis, I think they were reacting to that, deciding we're not we're going to keep our candidate away from King. Yeah. Well, the uh, the whole campaign crew, what do we call them? The political operatives. There's another name. The whole <laughs> culture, the Karl Rove culture of mm-hmm. consultants. Yes. The famous campaign consultants are always, they are our nemesis. You know, they are our nemesis. And so, oh, anyway, so we well, don't really know. And, and but DeSantis no, no, should have known since you tried to talk to him. Well, and, and uh, he, it's the question that he really comes, comes to is Trump's people did some of that, too. And so do they know when to see through their consultants or not? Right, exactly. That's, that's what's troubling. Exactly. And I wouldn't put any more of that on DeSantis than I would on Trump right. at this time. All right, so now we have a, a full-blown presidential race, and Nikki Haley cannot pull this out. No. I, there's no way. Uh, so uh, President Trump, unless he something happens terrible to him, he's going to be the nominee. Mm-hmm. So where do you stand on that, Stephen? What, what perspective do you think people should have on this? 
Well, what I, would you advise? How should they think about it? Uh, just this: we've got we've got Joe Biden, and it's it's all so awful. It would take us thirty or more minutes to even touch the bullet points of that. But we've got an incompetent president. We've got an incompetent administration. They're even worse than that. They are breaking America down. And Trump's solutions have been there for us. He's got a four-year track record. If you look at the decisions he's made, the initiatives that he's taken, he did that in the face of the worst opposition any president has ever had. So um, I'm fully behind Trump. I think we need to get him elected. He's going to be the nominee. And so let's let's all of us have as strong a support as we can. And the hardest part is I think Trump beats Biden hands down. But how do we have a legitimate election so that we get the president that's actually elected by we the people? And uh, and with with Trump, um, I'm seeing an attitude that was it was clear in Iowa. His numbers were just utterly solid. Nothing was going to move the Trump supporters, and facts didn't change things. And even if you weighed, DeSantis brings this, Haley brings that, but Ramaswamy brings this. It didn't. Trump's support just stayed there, and I think that Haley and DeSantis, they were they were just they bundled up the never Trumper vote that was there and split it about in half. And Ramaswamy, as bright as he is, and he is a future, he's an already emerged talent, and one of the smartest people I've ever met. His wife is as brilliant as he is. I don't know if he's the smartest or she's the smartest, but they're the smartest couple I ever met, with you two accepted here sitting in uh, Of course, I'm glad you added that. <laughs> my feelings would have been hurt. Because <laughs> of my PhD from MIT. And, uh, not really. And mine from the University of Hard Knocks. Yeah, we, yeah exactly. We were, <laughs> exactly. Um, but, so that's how that was divided. Ramaswamy couldn't hardly cry. He, he, he supported Trump, and he spoke highly of Trump. He didn't undercut Trump. But yet his agenda was something that would be carving out of the Trump-type supporters. They didn't come to Ramaswamy, and they surely they weren't going to be peeled off by Haley or by DeSantis. So there's how it broke down. And, and maybe if I put it in a, a composite, it would be this. My oldest son, after church one Sunday, we're sitting there having a cup of coffee, and he said, if they convict Trump and they lock him up in prison, I will vote for him in prison, and I hope he pardons himself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, yeah, well, there's a... That's a good point. And I think, I do think, Steve, the reason, I don't think there's any doubt. The reason people have stuck by Trump. Now, the left would say, and the Never Trumpers would say, is because people who support Trump are just deranged, crazy, uh, mindless uh, lemmings. And I think the opposite is true. And I think that they're, they are so upset to see, after all he did, look, he did mean tweets. He said some impolitic things. He's still doing that. And you wish he wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, I always say, look at what Biden is doing. There are no mean tweets, but give me the mean tweets. So I think now that we are at this point, um, people are furious at how he's been treated. It's so wrong. It's so wrong. And so they're willing to forgive him for more than they forgave him for in 2016 and 2020, I think. It's like they, it's just it, the injustice is so great that that's why the, 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 uh, the uh, support is holding there. And I'm like you now that he is the heir, he is the apparent to the throne. You know, I mean, if he can, yeah, if a Republican can win that throne, I'm I'm, gonna, I'm supporting him too. And, yeah. and Sandy, think of, think of the rights that can be wrong by reelecting Trump to bring back this. I mean, one of the things my concerns about DeSantis was that he would clean out some of this corruption. I don't have any doubt about that. But if you're a newly elected president, that that was a corruption that would attack the previous president Trump, not DeSantis. And uh, so he would he would clean some of that up. He would have his own legislative agenda, and he would also have his own legacy to be concerned about. But Trump knows where these bodies are buried. He knows who needs to be cast into the fire. 
and uh, he won't stop till he gets that all cleaned up. If and it's let's at all say possible. Steve King did not mean that literally. He is not <laughs> suggesting that Donald Trump throw anybody in the fire. Well, Are be, you? Bi- you have to be clear now. From because, the biblical perspective, yeah, yeah, of that. right. Yeah, <laughs> I just we have to be careful because you know you are a white supremacist because you oh, mentioned for, Western civilization, <laughs> and so you have to be careful of those words. Okay. So. Thanks for saving me from I'm myself. I'm bailing Sandy. you. I'm bailing <laughs> you. <on. laughs> and, and so that's that's why uh, that's why I think Trump can be a better president than what DeSantis might have been at this time. Yeah. Uh, and, and certainly over Nikki Haley, who might have you know less less uh, appreciation for her. her Set up, but if, but if if he's elected president again, and he steps into that White House, he, there's a number of mistakes he won't make, like hiring Democrats thinking that they're patriots. I could see that from the first day. I stood in that overall office and in that White House, and I watched the people walking around that he put into his team. This is not going to work. Yeah. Uh, no. And then you grab some rhinos and you put them in there. Well, they never liked his agenda. Uh, another thing with another mistake that Trump made. I'm saying this out loud, hoping that he's hearing it. He probably already knows. But if you remember, Paul Ryan said two weeks before the election, every man for himself, I'm not going to campaign with Trump. I'm not going to support him. I remember that. He was the Speaker of the House in case somebody's forgotten. Yes, Paul, Paul he Ryan. He said on a conference call with you guys. I was on that Congress, call, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and when it came through my ear, I just couldn't believe it. And some of us have said, he's our nominee. Oh, we've got to support him. Well, in any case, Trump won the election, much to the surprise of Paul Ryan. And and Trump should have known that Paul Ryan was not a supporter of Trump's ideology, his philosophy, or the man himself. And yet the day after the election, when I'm thinking we got to get the message out, time for a new Speaker of the House, Donald Trump said, I can work with Paul Ryan as Speaker. And then two things needed to happen from that election. They were mandates from the American people. Build the wall, repeal Obamacare. And we did neither. And neither one of those things didn't happen because of Paul Ryan standing in the way. Yeah. And I was in the middle of that arena, of course. Yeah. So well, if we'd done that, it would have been entirely different. Just one last thing. You and I both know, and we could spend time on it, but we won't today. And that is that there's so much election chicanery on so many fields, whether every state is unique. And it's like a multiple effort to make sure we don't have free and fair elections. Meanwhile, we're accused of destroying democracy. (laughs) This is really funny, actually. Someday when the history books are written, I hope somebody with a sense of humor writes this part of our history. But, uh, But, Steve, we don't want people, we want people to understand, I honestly think, call me crazy, because I have said much more doomsday, like rhetoric in the past, I actually think that the tide is turning so much that we actually, even if they do cheat, we might, it's, we might, might, might be able to overcome uh, their chicanery. And so we can't give up. And if you are, whatever state you're in, I would just encourage you to really get involved in your local election. Sign up to be uh, an election involved. Don't sign up as a volunteer. Uh, go as a paid worker so that you can have something to say about what's happening in the polling place. But get involved now. There are election integrity organizations uh, all over the place that are working, working, working right now to clean up um, all kinds of things, whether it's laws or, you know, court cases, all kinds of things they're doing. The process, Cleta Mitchell comes to mind, and there are other, Ned Jones, other people that are working really hard on this. So do not, people are working hard so that we can have a different kind of election. And whether we succeed or not, that really, that is in God's hands. But let's not succeed because we did nothing. How about those people, one last question, that say, I'm not going to vote this time. I'm not voting for Trump, and so I'm just not going to vote. I would say to them, you don't want that on your conscience. Um, I mean, sometimes the elections are turned by one vote, but if that's a mindset, it's changing other people's minds, too. And they'll think, I'm going to be apathetic, and I'm going to stay home because I don't trust the election process. I remember when... Um, 
we had the the, um, the the Senate race, I believe it was, in Georgia, where you had two Senate races came up almost back-to-back, or maybe it was even simultaneously. You had an attorney down there that said, you can't trust the elections, so what we're going to do is we're not going to vote. And I I could not believe it was a smart guy. I don't want to say his name here, but um, but that was just so wrong to say we're going to boycott the election. Therefore, when they when they get what they're trying to steal, everybody's going to know that it was stolen. It made no sense to me. Um, you've got to show up. Every vote's got to be there. We have to make sure every vote's counted. Uh, what I'd like to see is um, and not only get this to be a groundswell so that it's harder to cheat. The more votes that come in, the harder it is to cheat. That's right. And so let's overwhelm them with the tsunami of Republican votes and have their operation not be prepared to turn the things they want to turn. And one of the people that you and I are thinking about has said to us one day, there are five counties in America and, excuse me, five states in America and 10 counties. And if we can't figure out what to do to clean up the elections in those 10 counties, I don't know how a Republican is going to be president. Um, But they're working on that. Right now, yes, even they as are. we speak, yes, they, they have are. a plan. So that's why I don't want you, to, this, those of you listening to the show, please don't give up. And please do get really diligent about this. Pay attention and uh, vote smart. Be yeah, part of the so, tsunami. Yeah, be part of the tsunami. <laughs> that's right. Congressman Steve King, it's been so much fun. Nice to have you in my home and your wife, Marilyn. We've had such a good time. So thank you, for, thank you for joining <laughs> us and onward and upward, right? Indeed. We're going to keep good. doing this battle for God and country as long as we shall breathe. We're going to die in our boots, right? That's it. Or <laughs> me and my flip-flops. I'm in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> or that. Yes, there's that. Okay, thank you so much. Well, Thanks, Sandy. This is Sandy Rios on Sandy Rios 24-7. This is Sandy Rios 24-7 on American Family Radio. Okay, Sandy Reels back with you. Well, we all know that abortion uh, enthusiasts, people that hate death more than they love life, uh, are uh, working all around the country to pass legislation to change constitutions so that uh, abortion is now legal for all nine months for any reason in states like Michigan, uh, states like Illinois, California. It, and it's moving. It's spreading like cancer around the country. And really, I, I feel so strongly that preborn is the way to get around all of that. And that is because you go directly to the mom. You know, when you go directly to the mom and you're able to show her her baby through ultrasound, uh, there's no, you know, pro-abortionist who can persuade her, for the most part, uh, to terminate the life of her baby. It's just too personal. It touches something in her. They Anywhere from 50 to 70% of moms who see their baby in this way decide to keep the baby. So that's why... That's why I'm so proud that they're a sponsor of our show. So all you have to do is go to preborn.com slash Sandy and make your most generous donation. It's $28 for one ultrasound and, of course, any other amount, whatever you can afford. By the way, Preborn has a 100% charity rating. So you can give generously without any concern and with some confidence, okay? So go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy. Our country's a mess. Our borders are open and insecure. You know, nine months is a long time. You have a very good chance in that period of time of having World War III because we have somebody that is not doing his job properly. He's not respected. He's laughed at all over the world. He's not doing a good job. Well, that was President Trump again with Maria Bartiromo, although she was the silent partner in that clip. But uh, that was a great interview, and I commend all of it to you. It was Sunday morning, Sunday morning futures. We had such a great time with Congressman Steve King and his wife. Marilyn was here with him, too, and we enjoyed her so much. She's she's one of those partners 
uh, that supports him so uh, so fully. And um, that's what you need when you're going to be in a battle like he is. He's really a, a, a real champion. My sweetheart, Bruce, has just joined me, and uh, we're going to comment a little bit. I think maybe, Bruce, we should talk about the presidential race a little bit because that's what we ended up talking about with Steve. And uh, what do you think about maybe some of those things that President Trump, former President Trump, said to Murray? Anything catch your ear? Well, I think he's exactly right, and he is standing in the gap for people like us, uh, regular Americans. And I love his his attitude about indictments when he says, it's an honor, I'm doing it for you. And look, we're watching The Chosen, and you, you see what it's like to be Christ-like. Now, I'm not comparing Donald Trump to Christ. Don't, don't anybody make that leap. But what I'm saying is Donald Trump understands the concept that Christ talked about, about sacrificing for other people. Because as he said, you know, he could be off enjoying his life. He has a wonderful uh, wife. He has wonderful children. He has an incredible home. He has wealth. I mean, he's 78 years old. Why in the world would anyone want to face what he faces on a daily basis? Because it never stops. You know, 91 felony counts while Joe Biden has none. But yet he does it. And I admire President Trump. I do, too. I think that's why I've always defended him. I haven't declared him as my candidate. I have now, because I think he thinks he's the only choice in, in the race. I really do. And I, I, But I've always defended him because I, I have just, I could not stand how he's been treated. I don't care how many mean tweets or how many things he says or uh, how many women he uh, supposedly flirted with or et cetera, et cetera. He's not a Christian. He is a, I don't think, I mean, you may, some people may argue with me. I'm not sure. I don't know his heart, but he's certainly he's he's he was a wealthy playboy billionaire for years, and so that's who he is. And uh, you have to come to grips with that. He is not uh, he's not a preacher. He's not a Sunday school teacher, nor does he claim to be one. But when you assess even someone who claims all of that as a candidate, you have to look at what they do, not what they say. And uh, we are in a different time. If this was the time of the founders, we could have higher standards, I think, in terms of morality. We always did have higher standards than we are able to have now. We, our country has uh, changed, and uh, the makeup has changed. So we have to, we are, when you put on your political hat, you think of, you have to think of Romans 13, uh, not of uh, what, you know, the, uh, the instructions to us are in the church. And this is a different world. This is a, a secular choice that God puts leaders in, in place. He uh, sets, uh, you know, governors in place, and he he allows for law and order, according to Romans 13. And he allow you know, so I think he's very much in the business of wanting us to choose. A lot of kingdoms have not had, um, you know, moral leaders. And I'm not even saying right now that uh, Donald Trump is immoral. I kind of think he loves his wife now, which I think is very refreshing, and she seems to love him too. Uh, so a lot of things have changed. Uh, and I'm I'm not sure there is a perfect candidate. There never was, for heaven's sake. There never was. But uh, President Trump has probably paid a greater price than we'll ever know. And one thing I think about, Bruce, some of these people that refused to quit, they stay on, you know, they, like, I think of Dianne Feinstein, who, you know, just sat in the wheelchair, being almost like lurching over to the side, and all of these older gentlemen who just won't uh, step down, I think they don't have much of a home life. 
I really don't. But Donald Trump does. He has a loving family and loving kids and loving grandkids, and yet he's willing to do this still. I think you're right. Uh, There are a lot of people that politics has become their entire life. And without it, they don't have an identity in their mind. And I think that is one of the things that's really hurting our country. Uh, You look at the Senate, it is full of people that are 80 years old. Now, that is not a bash against people that are 80 years old, but we do change. I mean, I see it in myself. As we get older, um, that is a game, politics, that needs to be handled by people that are very vigorous, that have a, uh, a great thinking mind. And sometimes, not everyone, but a lot of people, as they get into their 80s, they really slow down. I think we've seen it in spades in Joe Biden. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's just there every day. And what President Trump said that Biden has laughed at all over the world, I believe that. When I see these videos of him tripping, uh, just screaming, he's just angry all the time, um, he's barely awake at functions, the, we cannot have a president at this time, especially as President Trump said, we may be on the verge of uh, World War Three. We cannot have someone there that cannot handle the duties. Yes, and one thing you have to say, of course, vitality is different for different people. President Trump was very vital on that interview. But, you know, he said in that interview, she asked him who he was going to choose for a vice president, and she said, what is your criteria? And he said, well, my first criteria is that they can be president, that if something, God forbid, happens to me, that they are able to take over the leadership of this country. That was his first answer, which surprised me and delighted me, actually. So uh, he's very vital right now, but we don't know what tomorrow holds. And so um, here we are. This is our situation. We're in a very dangerous time. And uh, you need to listen, I think, to what Donald Trump is saying, because if you're hearing it filtered through other media, it's never the same, or you don't hear the good things that he does say. And that's what I, why I wanted you to hear bits of that interview. Honey, thank you for joining me. Oh, and I want to rem- I want to mention also... Uh, Congressman King's, his book, I didn't. I wanted to make sure I emphasize, this is a great book. He talks about the end of his time in Congress, but it is, it gives you an insight into people that are still there. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, who has now stepped away, stepped away, it's, I have things I could say, but let's just say he quit. And so uh, this tells you a lot about those people and what happened to, happened to him. It's called Walking Through the Fire, My Fight. For the heart and soul of America. It is a great book and I commend it to you. All right, well, listen, thank you so much for listening to today's edition of Sandy Rios 24 7.